Good morning. This is BFC Live for Thursday, August 27th, 2020. Coming up, a conversation with Clint Sharples of Heritage Cannabis, talking about their entrance into the U.S. CBD market and their joint venture in Canada with CannaHive. Tonight, August 27th, join us for Cannabis Forward, produced by in partnership with Diversity Talk, titled Social Equity and Practice. It is made possible in part by Shopify. Sign up on our website at businessofcannabis.ca and you'll be able to join us uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks to our partners, BDSA, Cannabis at Work, Cannabis Benchmarks, Can Delta, and Torque and Mains. And as always, we are protected by ALSEPT. Now, this conversation with Clint Sharples of Heritage Cannabis. Clint, thanks for being here. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, anytime we get to talk about cannabis, I'm happy. And uh, it's how I spend many of my days. So uh, I'm happy a lot, even though over the past, I don't know, six months, I've been doing it mostly from my basement. <laughs> so apparently a lot of people do cannabis from their basement. So that's not unusual. True. If it wasn't for basements, the cannabis industry would be screwed. <laughs> uh, right? Or garages. I always thought it would be an interesting brand to like the, the garage, in the garage uh, pre-roll. Um, Good idea. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> write that down. I'll <laughs> just take a small royalty on that. Um, well, it's, I mean, in California, but even here, sort of the, the idea of small joints, pre-rolls being called dog walkers is uh, <laughs> uh, it's based off a really good insight. I like um, it. But I wanted to connect with you because uh, we've seen some really interesting announcements from Heritage Cannabis over the past couple of weeks. And I wanted to make sure we connected with you to talk about that. But sure. before we talk about sort of what's more recent, talk about sort of a, a bit of, for those that don't know, a bit about the history and sort of makeup of Heritage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Heritage uh, has been around for a better part of the last five years, uh, uh, originally with uh, obviously the application, no different from anybody else. Um, although that was a couple of year process, it felt like it took about 30 years, finally, finally getting our original license to grow. And uh, weirdly, the delay was a bit of a blessing as it, uh, we, we were able to uh, see the, the millions and millions of square feet coming online and a grow. And, uh, you know, we, uh, my team and I sat down with a, you know, a pen, a calculator and a napkin and started writing out going, this is not making sense to me unless uh, every man, woman and child in Canada, Canada uh, consumes a massive amount of cannabis, we're going to have an oversupply. So, uh, so we did a bit of a pivot, moved into extraction, uh, went and found uh, Pure Pharma, uh, guys that have uh, several years of experience in the, uh, in the extraction space uh, in the previous uh, uh, grain market, and uh, we're able to move forward into extraction and now into formulated products being uh, vape pens, tinctures, and as we've seen most recently, uh, uh, moving ourselves into the edibles. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, as, as much as you made that pivot with uh, a pen, a calculator, and a napkin, I think some of the folks that put millions of square feet of cultivation together probably did the same calculations, but about million square foot greenhouses and came out with the, <laughs> they, they were using the wrong napkin, I think. No, I, I had the chance to, uh, to execute on a very large greenhouse that uh, 
uh, would have continued to grow tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers as it never would have pivoted to cannabis. Right. right. I mean, it's a tough, it's a, and, and this is where we are. I mean, all the numbers that have come out with sort of excess supply and all those things, but, but it really is the 2.0 products and the formulations, as you've said, that are, that are now just really making their way into the sort of Canadian consumers mind share because as 2.0 products came in, everybody went to their basements, right? Because it was, uh, right. It was, it was very much right when they, they hit the market, people sort of uh, COVID hit and now more stores in Ontario are coming online. So, so it's really, the timing is good for this sort of more robust market, both for retail consumers and, and for uh, new products. So talk about what sort of, uh, let, let's talk first about, um, uh, 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 Optican, if we can, because I think that would be interesting to talk about because there's a U.S. angle and we're always interested in sort of what's happening sort of uh, for Canadian companies in the U.S. and U.S. companies thinking about here. Talk a little bit about that acquisition and what it means for you and the company. Yeah, Optican is something we've been working on uh, uh, for almost a year. Uh, we we uh, uh, were introduced to this group and sat down and, and started putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, as uh, if you read our news release, you'll see that the Optican group is the, uh, the former executives from MedRelief, uh, uh, a group that uh, has, has been there and done it before and uh, were arguably some of the best uh, uh, executors in this industry. Uh, they were bought by uh, Aurora for a god awful amount of money. A handsome and, fee. Yeah. And, uh, and they've gone off and done a few other things since then. But started down the path with Optican in the United States. Uh, obviously, the CBD business down there is uh, uh, roaring and uh, is going to do nothing but get larger and larger as it goes. And then uh, if legalization hits in the United States, it's, uh, it's going to explode. And we know that and we want to be part of it. Uh, but you can't be part of it uh, kind of uh, half halfway. You can't be half pregnant. You need to be in there and going. So Optican had the footprint, had uh, its uh, fingers into a bunch of different pies already. And with uh, uh, particularly its partnership with uh, Source One Geocan and the people there, a uh, good group of people, smart group of people that uh, can bring us the technology with the Vesasorb, uh, which is already... Uh, in all the major pharmacies uh, with known names uh, as an absorption technology, uh, Vesasorb allows for uh, all CBD products to be absorbed uh, on a much uh, uh, higher basis. 4.4 uh, times is what their clinical studies are coming out with right now. And uh, to, to us and some of our products, it's a, it's a potential game changer. But not only that, it gives you a differentiating factor rather than walking through the door, staring at somebody and say, hey, we've got CBD tinctures, soft gel caps, et cetera, et cetera. We have all these with Vesasorb with increased effectiveness. And we believe it'll be something that'll be a, a big seller in your whatever. Yeah, Differ a big differentiator in, a, in an increasingly crowded market, certainly down there. And, 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 and it, I mean, certainly the CBD market, we talked to, sort of consumer insights folks uh, based in Colorado and just watching sort of that number go up and up and up in terms of um, in sort of cannabis store type of settings, but also non, you know, more traditional retail, be it, you know, be it gas stations or be it Whole Foods, right? It's right. really, it's really taking off. Um, I want to talk uh, about Canahive as well, because um, there, there's a joint venture you guys announced uh, with Canahive about edibles and infused products. Uh, talk a little bit about that, because that's, um, 
that, that's that's my sweet spot talking about um, talking about edibles. Yeah, you know what's funny when we take a look at all the market studies down in the United States and seeing how the growth in the industry and how cannabis is being consumed, uh, edibles are just uh, becoming more and more popular as they go. Now, you, you know, in the states, you can uh, obviously offer a differentiated product. You can you can make a gummy look like a bear. Uh, here in Canada, we're not going to be able to do that stuff. So we have a product that we need to be able to get out to market and. You know, it, it needs to have uh, a few things. Number one, it's, its potency needs to be there and, and consistent. And we're capable of doing that. We have the guys who can create the input products of this uh, in an amazing fashion. And they do high quality and great consistency. And that's fantastic for us and for anyone who would want to partner with us. But the question was, how do you get into a product where, you know, people's best first opportunity is to stare at it at its packaging through a glass top. And, and that's, uh, that's a real tough one. So you need to be able to get a product out there that is uh, low enough price that uh, it gains the interest of, of the general public to, to try it. And uh, what we have with Canahive, they have a, uh, a process that uh, is extraordinarily efficient. Uh, we've looked at, and we've looked at many edible uh, transactions here in Canada. Uh, we have a unique space down in Fort Erie with our Canacare facility. We have a lot of uh, open capacity that we can add uh, larger automated pieces of equipment. And this is what Canahive is bringing to us. Uh, we provide the facility and a little bit of uh, build out upgrades, as well as the input material and the QA requirements uh, and, and the people requirements to make them. Canahive is bringing to the table the the process that they have, it's a patented process, and the uh, machinery in which to build, uh, to, to put uh, all these products out there. Think gummies, think chocolates, uh, virtually anything you can make an edible with. And uh, we can do it through our facility. And the big thing here in Canada is you've gotta be cost competitive. If you're not, the, the illicit, the black market will, will lay a beating on the legal market to begin with and then uh, in the legal market, you need to differentiate yourself. You need to be able to tell people, buy my product because, and then that because has to have a reason behind it. And right now, because they have to try it first, you can't, not like you can sample it in a, in a dispensary. Uh, Health Canada doesn't allow stuff like that. Uh, you, you have to give them reason. Hey, buy mine. It, you know that it's priced well, it's competitive price. So give it a shot. And if you like it, great continue to buy it and we'll, uh, we'll continue to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to sort of ask a big picture question because you talked about the sort of five year run up to now, basically between licensing and getting online and doing the calculations and pivoting and, and all those things. And you've seen the industry develop over the past sort of two years in the legal framework, but I want you to look ahead sort of two and five years. Hence, like, what do you think we'll be talking about looking back on sort of this strange moment in time, big picture having nothing to do with cannabis and the way people's habits are changing and all of that. But thinking about yeah. the future, looking back when we think about this conversation in August, 2020, uh, in August, 2022, what do you think we will have learned that, that will have either made heritage successful, uh, but also the industry shifting overall? Yeah. So, uh, the last five years has been, uh, uh, just, a one roadblock after another roadblock, uh, and I get it, everyone wanted to do this slowly, 
but once things like this gain momentum, you know, the market goes faster than the regulators are willing to move or can move. Um, you know, Alberta had a, had a picture perfect rollout of, of dispensaries and retail and, uh, and now has, I don't even know, seven, 800 different uh, stores you can go buy product in. Uh, meanwhile, Ontario sat there humming and hawing as they're trying to figure out, you know, is 30 stores enough for 15.5 million people? Well, maybe not. Maybe we should add another 10 or 15 or 20. Well, they need to add 2,000 more. They, they need this thing significantly available. They need, you know, it's, um, it's similar to the LCBO, but, uh, you know, people will be um, probably more apt to drive to go get their, their booze, and, and most of them want to walk to go get their cannabis. So uh, we need outlets. We need places to buy it. We need uh, uh, people uh, shaking the stigma. And it will be, it will be, give it five years, it'll be mainstream. You know, the fact you can't walk into a local bar and buy a THC infused beverage is nothing short of ridiculous to me. Why not? Uh, what's the difference? Um, well, well, it's better, but. <laughs> so, you know what, the fact that you have to buy it in a dispensary and dispensaries are, they're, you know, they're tight for space. Mm -hmm. It's not like people have a lot of cash to throw around in this industry. Well, there's a few of them that do, but uh, there's not a lot. So uh, dispensaries want to maximize their dollars per square foot and, uh, and beverages take up a lot of space. They're no different from the way that we're looking at it. Want a beverage uh, company to come in and, and do some processing? No problem. You better have 15,000 square feet because that's the amount of space it takes to manufacture and then again to store. Uh, we're one of the few who was fortunate enough to have a very large uh, facility that can fit that in there, and we are looking at them. And uh, but uh, we would really like the ability to be able to have uh, a cannabis beverage at your local bar. Yeah. Why not? Why does it have to be in a dispensary? Yeah. So these are the things that I'm hoping that within the next three to five years, government loosens the reins on, allows for you know if not uh, at your local bar, then than at a, a, a cannabis uh, lounge or something like that, that you could consume with other people in a social setting. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it would do amazing things for the stigma part of it. It, of course, it would be good for the sector, but, but even thinking about it from a public health perspective, um, you know, it, it would do, go a lot at driving down sort of the, the people purchasing. We want people buying in the legal market. We want them to enjoy the product. That's good public health. That's good for business. That's good for the sector. Those things happen to be aligned on this front. And, and it would be great to see that happen. And, and I'm hopeful it will because I think the, the public will demand it because increasing numbers of people are using and buying cannabis. And that generally is a good thing. And they generally find it uh, safe, effective, a good experience. And there's no hangover. All of those things. You know, it's a safety. You hit your nail right on the head there. It's uh, the, the impact that safety uh, has uh, it is in the legal market. Uh, the amount of uh, hoops that we jump through to ensure people's safety is pretty big. It's amazing, you're, yeah. You're talking about vape pens uh, and some of the damage that the illicit market vapes have caused. Um, and uh, it's just a completely different game in, you know, on the legal side. Uh, and there the, the, uh, the checks and double checks that exist to ensure the purchaser's safety, uh, it's an important aspect and it cannot be overlooked. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to thank you, uh, Clint. I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, it's great to talk about heritage, talk about uh, the deals you guys have been working on and have closed and are, are working to execute on. So I appreciate the time. Look forward to following up and uh, have a good rest of the summer. Wonderful. You too, Jay. Uh, thanks for having me on. You got it.